Welcome to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Star Church. Our prayer is that you will enjoy today's podcast, and we hope you find this time empowering, inspiring, and helpful as you pursue the dream that God has placed in your heart. The hosts and guests of this podcast are not attorneys, and nothing they say should be construed as legal advice. Please contact your local attorney's office when necessary. Now, enjoy today's episode of Beyond the Call. Well, Pastor Joby, I'm stoked that you're here. You know, just going through, I heard you speak at uh, the Exponential Conference a while ago, and you brought it. I mean, I, I think I wanted to plant my third church after listening to you speak. And <laughs> so um, I, I, we're just, we're honored to have you spend a little time with us. Yeah, man, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So uh, for those who don't know you, so we got a lot of people joining the podcast and, and new hearers. Can you kind of zoom out a little bit? Tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to faith in Christ, and, and we'll go from there. Uh, yeah, man. Been married to Gretchen for 22 years. Got two kids, a 16-year-old son, football player, and a 12-year-old daughter, cheerleaders to pray for me and all that goes on with that. I uh, did not grow up in church. I uh, got in a little bit of trouble, found myself cutting, gra- cutting grass at a little Southern Baptist camp, and uh, that's where I met Jesus when I was a teenager, radically saved. Got My football coach was leading the camp, so I didn't get saved at church or by an evangelist, but through my football coach sharing the gospel. Ended up back on staff at that camp a few years later in college, and it's where I preached my first sermon, led my first Bible study, had zero intention of going into ministry, and was just volunteering as a college kid in my local church's student ministry, and just felt this clear, undeniable call to go into ministry, and so went and, you know, it was a Southern Baptist church, so you can't do anything in the pew, it all happens down front, you know, (laughs) and so I walked down the aisle and said, hey man, this is what I think is going on, and he graciously allowed me to, they started an internship program for me to kind of see behind the guts of it. And so I went on staff at 19 and I'll be 49 this year. And all I've ever done is, is work the local church. Yeah. Wow. So that's me. Got saved as a teenager and then called to ministry. And in fact, like, I mean, we're not like a church family. I went to my dad and said, dad, I'm not going to go to medical school. I'm gonna go to seminary. And he was like, what's seminary? And I said, <laughs> It's like a school for preachers. And he said, there's a school for that. You only work a half a day a week. You study one book. Why do you need a whole school? I was like, I don't know, but they think you should go. So I'm going. Wow. That's it. And then you, so what from there? So you went and got some education and you're, uh, you graduated seminary. What happened from there? Yeah. Did that whole thing. Um, Went to a church up in Virginia with a really great and gracious pastor, a guy named Dr. Bill Ross, hired me right out of seminary, handed me keys to the student ministry and said, he was like, you know, get it, Scooter. And his, both of his kids were in that ministry. So he was, he was pretty invested, met my wife there in Roanoke. And then uh, he took a church down in Athens, Georgia. So I followed him there and did a bunch of college ministry stuff there. Go dogs. Almost left the ministry in like 2002 or three, just kind of just not a really good fit at the church I was at and thought mm-hmm. I was probably the problem and maybe my ministry run was up. And so my wife talked me into giving it one more run. And so we came to Jacksonville, Florida in 03, came to a really good Bible teaching, life-changing Methodist church. I'd never actually been inside a Methodist church at that point in my life, but this is a great church. And, uh, did student ministry there for a bunch of years. Everything was awesome. And then we started a service to reach kind of that gap generation of 25 to 40 year olds. We had a bunch of teenagers and we had their parents. We had nobody in between. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we started this service. I didn't want it to be an age graded service though. So I went to our traditional early Sunday morning 
service and ask all the old people to come be missionaries at their own campus huh. to reach another generation. So all of our greeters were grandparents and stuff. Wow. And then, man, God breathed on that thing and it just blew up. And in about, I don't know, about six months, it had outgrown the church that we were a part of. And so my senior pastor said that we should, I should probably start a new church. I didn't even know church planting was a thing then. Wow. We literally Googled it. And there was a exponential conference in Orlando, which is only about two hours from us. Yep. So we hopped on a van and drove down to Orlando to see what the whole church planting thing was. And uh, we planted the church of 1122 in 2012. Wow. By accident. By accident. It, yeah. what, did, what did you learn there? What, what did church planting, I know you went to exponential. So you get into this mm -hmm. thing, you've got, a, you've got a service, you've got a group. What did you, some of the early lessons as a church planter, not just pastoring within a church, but now you're a church planter. What are some of those early lessons? Uh, one of the things that I knew that I needed was to get assessed by people that knew something about church planting. Sure. Because, you know, my wife and my grandma were high-fiving me, telling me I have what it takes. But um, it's very different being a church planter than just plugging into an existing organization. Yeah. Uh, I, I honestly think my youth ministry days trained me some because you've got to be a little bit of a master of everything. I mean, you are responsible for everything. Yeah. Setting up chairs to health insurance, you know. Yeah. And so there's just a lot of organizations that are helpful. And one of the things I learned is you don't have to figure it all out on your own. Right. I mean, you know, like the organization that you run, man, there's a bunch of folks here to help. And so that that was one of the biggest things is learning where to go to get the help I needed so that I could accomplish what I felt like God had called me to accomplish. That's awesome. Talk to me about the vision. Was the vision clear when you planted exactly what you wanted to do? Did you feel like it it evolved or... Talk to me through the process God took you through as a, as a planter. Yeah, it's pretty clear, man. We were, from the very beginning, um, on a napkin in my kitchen table, I wrote down that 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And a lot of that came out of sort of what I was taught in the, like, seeker. You know, I was kind of weaned on the seeker church mm -hmm. thing, which, which honestly, I mean, I thank God for those guys because without those guys, you know, We'd still be fighting over guitars and jeans, which would be yeah. dumb. <laughs> but so I was at this conference one time. I won't say who said it, but this very famous guy that I look up to a ton, it's way smarter than me, said, you got to make a fundamental question. You got to answer a fundamental question when you start a church. Are you going to keep people or reach people? Mm. And I thought, eh, I reject the question. And I didn't have words to it, but I'm sitting on the couch a couple of weeks later watching like Shrek 3 with my son. And, and Shrek says something and he laughs and Puss in Boots says something and I laugh. And I remember thinking, is Shrek an adult movie or a kid movie? Well, mm. if Pixar can pull it off, surely the spirit of God can reach and disciple the longtime Christian. And you could create the kind of environments where the very first time attender could have some handles to grab onto so that God could have to be them. either or right. Didn't have so to that's be. where the all people that came from. That yeah. was it. And, wow. that, and that we would discover, like, you'd meet Jesus and get saved and continuously deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. And in fact, I think the number one way for your people to deepen their walk with Jesus is get real serious about helping other people discover theirs. Absolutely. Then everything changes. So that, we've been doing that from the very beginning. We'll be 10 years old this fall. And if you came to a service this weekend, it it's, it's still as pure as it was in the very beginning. We 
we still just do the same things. There's just more people. Wow. What were some of the early challenges? I mean, you had a pretty clear vision. Obviously, you got a lot of passion. I love what you just said, able to, to reach both. What were some of the early challenges? Nobody gets 10 years in and says, oh, yeah, it's been a breeze. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, the challenges, they're kind of the same, man. You know, I mean, it's all kind of stuff, right? People, resources. Yeah. Um, probably one of the biggest shocks. I can remember being at like executive level meetings when I was on staff at a church, but I was in charge of the students. And some finance report would come out and it wasn't going good. And I would look at it and I remember thinking somebody should do something about that. Yeah, sure. You're the church planner. You're the somebody, you're the somebody. on yeah. everything. <laughs> like You're like, uh oh, what are we going to do? Right. Uh, yeah. Um, so the responsibility is completely different, completely different. Yeah. It's a lot of output, too. You know, I, I planted a church. I found myself cleaning things right before I'm on the stage to play guitar, right before I'm about to set this thing down and welcome everybody. We're church planners. We get it done. Talk to me about how, uh, and this is a great podcast moment here. How did you manage the output? And quite honestly, how did those around you manage you needing to have that much output? Church planning hard, right? Um, yeah, one of, I mean, one of God's great graces in my life is my wife. And she was, she was in it to win it with me. Yeah. She just was, she led worship for us up until just like two years ago or a year ago or something. So she was all in with me. And uh, I tell church planners all the time, look, bro, you have either married your lid or your launch pad. Come on. And so you should just be real honest about that. Yeah. And, and your first devotion is to her and your family. Yeah. So, but, but luckily I, I've married a wife that understands her, her grandfather planted her church. Wow. And her mom played piano in it. And so she know, like she, she's got a little behind the scenes look and she came out of it, not hating church, which means they did a lot of things, right? So we fought for family rhythms like crazy. And we just decided we were going to do whatever it takes to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. Wow. I mean, that was it, but listen, man, it rises and falls on the leader. So that's what very few people should actually be church planters because of what is required of you. Yeah. Church planting. It's no joke. <laughs> you know, it it's is no, no joke. And it it's never stopped. I mean, sometimes when I'm driving home between here and my house is a Chick-fil-A, God bless Chick-fil-A. And it'll say now hiring. And just for a minute, I'll think, oh, wouldn't that be great? You can just work at Chick-fil-A and clock out. Yeah. Nobody calls you in the middle of the night. Be like, what do we do about peanut oil? Or, right. you know, we're, we're yeah. out of pickles that you, you can just kind of go do your job. That is not church planning. There's no clock out. Yeah. I think a lot of planners, people think of planning. They think about Sunday. They think about the stage. They don't think about 1201 to next week or whatever, you know, and all of that. Yeah. I think a couple of things I would say to church planners. One is, well, there's a lot. When you get the doors open and you start having regular services, dude, that is not the finish line. That is at the, you're at the starting line. And a lot of people think that once we get like an actual church with like people showing up every week that you're done, bro. You've just started. You've just started. Something else I think that, uh, man, I love Exponential and I love the conferences. And I honestly, I speak at all of them now. Okay. But, but, but what's taught implicitly to church planners is that the weekend gathering is the most important thing and they should put all of their time, effort, and energy into it. Well, the problem is, you know, our church is big now, real big with 
I think we have 267 staff or something like that. Okay. Wow. And multiple campuses and you know, yeah. all the things. All right. So at this stage in my life, I spend 20, 25 hours a week in sermon prep and all of that. But when you plan a church, your currency of ministry is not how good your sermons are. Hmm. As, as crazy as this sounds, you should probably just rip off all my sermons or pick somebody better than me, take their sermons, adjust the content, get it as good as you can in about three hours a week, because your currency of ministry is relationships. So good. You would do better to spend time with people one-on-one -on -one all week long than you would to preach a great sermon on Sunday. You'll have a bigger impact. Wow. And then as you grow, it's going to be like leadership development. And then beyond that, then you build systems. And then maybe when you get to Keller wrote a piece on church size and he says 800 and above is super jumbo or whatever, yeah. that might be a good number. When you get to there, that's probably when your sermon is going to have the biggest impact on people, not your time or not your systems or not your leadership development. So good. Yeah, that's that's a lot. That's flipped what a lot of people are told to put all your money on your 40 minute sermon or whatever. And you're saying it's the pastoring of the people between Sundays that is having the most impact. Right. You literally could sit down one-on-one -on -one with those people in a month, an hour at a time and have a greater impact than your 40 minute talk. And listen, man, I'm a, I'm, I feel like I was put on this planet to preach. I love to preach. I'm pro preaching. I think it's the most important thing happening. But if you think about it as your currency of ministry, like what's going to have the greatest impact. So for instance, when I was doing student ministry, Dude, I was the smartest guy in the room every meeting because it's a bunch of dumb high school kids and right. they were new every three years, right? So if I spent 20 hours a week on a talk to 100 kids then, it would not have the impact as if I would just right. spend time with those people. That's what I'm saying. Right. Eventually you'll get there. I get that. But don't spend all that time because what we often do is we're, preachers are trying to impress other preachers yeah. instead of shepherd their flock. Yeah. That's the goal is to shepherd your flock. Let me transition gears a little bit here. So 260 some staff, right? That's larger yeah. than a lot of, a lot of church plants, obviously. So how did you get there? I'm going to ask you for the whole journey. How did you, in those beginning days, pick up the people? How did God add people to your staff? I mean, nobody plants a church alone, right? You, you obviously, like you said, oh, even yeah. just your wife, but then there's, there's key individuals. Did you seek them out? Did they find you? Did you how did that work? Yes. Yeah, some of both. But the large majority of it is just, you know, God sent the right people at the right time. And we just had to trust that this was the crew that he had put together to do this thing with. Yeah. Um, one of the things that helped like crazy is that we planted from another church. Yeah. So we planted with the blessing of another church out from under the authority of another church. And that's a way different thing than those that just parachute in. Because one of the dangers, like what makes a great church planner? is the brother thinks I got this, but the most dangerous thing you could ever think is I got this, yeah. you know? Uh, and so because we planted out of another church, they actually let us start and grow up there for like a year and a half. Wow. When, the, when we decided the service was going to be become its own church. And that's when we began to codify like staff and elders and yeah. systems and raise money and all of that stuff. But it was because the church I was at allowed us to do that. That's important, man. God always works in and through authority, always. And so don't ever expect God to bless you with leadership and authority if you haven't understood how to live under authority. That is a tweetable moment right there, for sure. <laughs> Tell, talk, to me, talk to me about when did you start to see momentum? 
you know, there, there's this seed form of it's all your faith, right? You're a church of 1122. Yeah. You're a man of faith. I read your bio, like, obviously you're a man of faith. When did that begin to take mass from just being in the heart of pastor into the heart of others? When did you see that? What was the steps you took on that? There was a small group of people around me that saw things in me that I did not, I had not yet recognized, I guess, you know? So that was a part of it. These are not my closest friends that planted the church with me. Yeah. And then look, man, we, I'm kind of, I'm a recovering Baptist guy and we're, my worship leader is like a, he was kind of a, he's kind of a mutt. Like he's got some charismatic backgrounds and some liturgical backgrounds. So yeah. he's like, we should pray and fast for Lent. Okay. Well, of course the church has been doing that for 2000 years, but my Baptist roots, we didn't, we didn't fast. Sure. You know, we fasted from rated R movies and Budweiser always. That was like yeah. a constant fast. Right. And we didn't even celebrate like a church calendar. That wasn't, my, I mean, we did Easter, we didn't do Lent and Advent, yeah. that kind of stuff. So we decided to, man, we decided we're going to pray and fast. And we did our whole church, which was like 300 people. And I don't know, man, something broke loose in the heavens and 1500 people showed up for Easter. Wow. Like, like we were 300 and then the next weekend we were 15 and then it never went back. <laughs> wow. It just never went back. And then when we planted, you know, our first Sunday in our own building, it's like 3000 people here and the momentum has not slowed down. It's never slowed down. How did you scale? So talk to me about going from 300 to 1500. And I'm not even talking about obviously the miracle side of this, right? Just the sheer practical. Yeah. How did your systems handle that? How did you lead through that? Oh my gosh. Um, man, I, um, yeah, we got really serious about discipling the people that God had right in front of us. And that became our number one priority. Yeah, it was just most more. So one of the things, <clears throat> sometimes you'll fall into these traps of, of you want to start all of these programs and they can actually be detrimental to making disciples of the people that God is already bringing. Because hmm. you want your people to get real evangelistic. You get them let them start growing in their walk with Jesus and they'll start sharing that with people. Wow. And so we aimed everything at discipling the people that God was already bringing us. That's what we did. Yeah. And, and, and so we hired towards it. We raised up volunteers like crazy and the discipleship of our people was everybody's job. It wasn't like the music guy was like, I do music and you do preaching and we have a disciple. In fact, we, we did not have a discipleship pastor because I didn't want discipleship to be relegated to one part of what the church does. All of us were discipleship pastors, and all of us had a responsibility to disciple these people that God was bringing us. Wow. And so that's what we did. We all wove it into we the took, ethos of the church. Everybody's a disciple. Completely. Yeah. Everybody. Completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we started hiring people like crazy. And, and we've continued to grow. And then you know, we launched, we launched into our own place, our own space, our own building. And it, we doubled Just like kidding. in one Sunday. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So then I was like, all right, we're going multi-site. We're going to, we're going to do that because we're out of space and yeah, you know, and, and so now I think we're at our ninth campus. We'll be at 11 at the end of next year. My gosh. So you do a lot. I, one of the things I love about your, um, your organization is you like planners. You have a passion for planners. I know you even have a residency, Tell me why, and again, think about the group that's listening to this. Why is planting still the thing that God is doing or one of the major things that God is doing? And why are you guys investing in it so heavily? Well, I mean, there's a lot. One is the parable of the talents weighs pretty heavy on me. You know, um, I'm still not sure why God has given us all the resources and people and salvations and 
Yeah. I mean, man, we just we baptized 610 people last Sunday. How about that? Praise God. I know it's crazy. In the ocean, in the in the Atlantic Ocean. So anyway. So before we even had time to like raise up church planters from within, because that takes a minute. Yeah. We joined Acts 29 because it's a church planting network. Right. Um, we started resourcing church planters. We put 10% of our budget to help plant churches. And then at the right time, God brought a guy who was a church planner to my attention, a friend of mine. And I just said, Hey man, how would you like to come on staff and just play? All you do is plant churches. Cause he had planted a church and he was a, he was a church planner at heart who had accidentally become a pastor. And I'm a pastor that accidentally planted a church. Yeah. Wow. So I don't ever want to do it again. I'm good. I won't. Our goal is to plant a thousand churches in 10 years. And so we're at like, they were about 490 or something like that so far. So we just started a school of ministry in our church and we train residents. We support church planners. We train all kinds of people to do all kinds of different jobs. But we also rejected this idea that you can either like plant churches or you can multiply campuses. We do both. Yeah. We just do both. I, I, I refuse to live in the tyranny of the ore. So we do both, man. So we've got, we got campus pastors. It's all video preaching campuses and they got to give me five years. And if they want to plant a church, we'll be their biggest cheerleader. Wow. And we plant people from in here. We gather people from really all over the country, come here to get trained and go out. But the biggest thing is, I mean, listen, man, the primary tool by which Jesus is going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth is his local church. Yeah, absolutely. His indigenously led local church. And so I want to be on the strategy that Jesus is laying out, not my own strategy for the Great Commission. So that's why we do it. So good. What do you see? You're talking to a lot of planters. You've got a residency. You're speaking into that. We just came out of COVID. Uh, It's May 26th as of the time of this recording. So if you're listening to this years later, we just got through a major pandemic. What are you seeing different about the church planters today? What Anything you can speak into what you're seeing in this season? I think a lot of it has to do with where you plant, but man, there's a significant part of our culture today that is beyond just suspicious of the local church. They think it's dangerous. Mm. It's a new day. Yeah. I mean, look, man, like I said, I'm almost 49. So, you know, 90s, early 2000s, people were, people were questioning if what we believe is true. Right. Now they're questioning if what we believe is safe. That's a very different world. Wow. Very different world. Yeah. And, and there are, I mean, it, it is war, man. And we have, and the good news of the gospel is a, is better than anything this world has to offer. Yeah. And so we have to be more unified, more loving, more gracious. We cannot just assume upon our culture like we could just a few decades ago. I mean, I was thinking about this. So we have service on Thursday night. Today's Thursday. We're recording it. So I was working on it and, and we're doing a series in the book of Psalms. And we're on Psalm 23. When I was in the sixth grade, my sixth grade English class at a public school, we memorized the 23rd Psalm and had to recite it in front of everybody. You had to recite all these other poems and stuff too, but it was just a part of the curriculum. Think about that. Yeah. It's not like I was alive in the Civil War, bro. Right. You know, (laughs) I mean, I graduated in 1991. So it's not, I mean, I know I'm old, but think about how much our culture has shifted. In fact, I read a report, I think it's out of, I think it's out of Harvard. It says sociologically, there has been more change in the last four years than the previous 40. In other words, 2022 is more different than 2018, than 2017 is different than 1977. Wow. That's the world we live in. Yeah. 
everything's changing. Now, the benefits are in this kind of polarized world that we live in is that this idea of casual Christianity is almost gone. Yeah. Because there is no benefit. There's right. no benefit to going to church, like socially speaking. So the good news is if you plant a church and people start showing up, they actually are interested in Jesus, not just the residual benefits of making sure your name is in the community and you're known as a Christian businessman or woman, because that might not be advantageous anymore. Yeah, that's so right. So there, there is a positive to that. Uh, people are asking, should I plant a church now? Things are changing so much. What would you say? Somebody comes Always, to man. Always. I mean, you declare the gospel and God's church will prevail. I don't know if yours will, but the only way to know if you were a part of the prevailing church is, man, you just got to get after it. Just get out there and do it. I think the greatest advice in all of the Bible is this. In John 2, 5, John 2, Jesus is at the wedding. They run out of wine. His mama comes to him. Jesus, they're out of wine. He says a verse you should never quote to your wife out of context. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Then she brings the servants together and she says this, do whatever he tells you to do. Yeah. If he told you to plant a church, you don't have another option, bro. And if you don't do it, I'm just telling you, your bones will burn up inside of you if you don't do what he's telling you to do. Now, whether it quote unquote succeeds or not is irrelevant, bro. The success is in your faithful step of obedience to do what he's telling you to do. And in that, in that water to wine miracle, Jesus tells the, the servants to do some stuff that's crazy. Like go get the stone jars and fill it up with water and dip out the dirty hand-washing water and go give it to the master of ceremonies. That, that don't make sense. None of it makes sense. Yeah. And little did they know there was a miracle hanging on the other end of those steps of obedience. But man, when we planted this church in 2012, I had no idea that over 9,000 people would have surrendered to Christ through this thing. I didn't think it'd be, you know, I didn't know who's going to show up. I had no idea we would, so far, we planted over 400 churches that when we're all dead and done, these churches are going to replicate leadership and keep going and keep growing. And so you better do whatever it is he tells you to do. On the other uh, last two questions, then I'll land the plant here. I'm just so appreciative of your time. Uh, what would you say to your younger self? Let's get in a time traveling. We're going to go back. You're writing on this yeah. napkin. What do you What do you say to to that guy? Um, I would say when Paul tells Timothy, he tells him two things, man. Well, he tells him a bunch, but two things come to mind. One is he says, "God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self control." And so, fear is not a feeling. Fear is not a personality type. Fear is a spirit that does not come from God. Hmm. Fear paralyzes. There's a bunch of people that are paralyzed in ministry because they're afraid of what people will think or they're going to mess it up. That, that does not come from the Lord, man. You need to walk in power and in love and of sound mind. The other thing he told Timothy is fulfill your ministry. Cause I bet Timothy was very tempted to try to be the next Paul. Sure. Paul saying, we don't need another Paul. You know, every time one of our young guys preaches, some grandma comes up and says, you're going to be the next Billy Graham. Well, guess what, man? We don't need another Billy. Billy did Billy. Now it's your turn to do you. Yeah. So I think we should learn from all kinds of ministries, but quit copycatting what everybody else is doing and fulfill your ministry. So for a bunch of years, I was just copycatting what everybody was doing instead of just doing what God told me to do. That's what I would tell the younger me. So good. So last thing you talked about being connected. I love in your whole talk, you're like, Hey, be under authority, do it with people, even your wife. Hey, we're 
uh, and you talk about this residency, where can people that are listening, some people are listening to that and they're saying, that's exactly what I've been needing here. I know I've got a call, there's something burning in me, but I feel real isolated. How could they find out more about you guys, about what God's doing there? Maybe even looking into the residency. Yeah, you just go to our website, coe22.com, stands for Church of 1122, but coe22.com. All of that information is there. Or you could email the guy that runs that for me is adam.flint at coe22.com. And man, we'd be happy to help out. And even if you're not planting a church, but you've already planted, I would highly encourage you to find a band of brothers or brand of brothers and sisters to do life together with. Because in the passage on elders, Peter says, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If you've ever watched the animal planet, the lion always takes off, takes out that that isolated one that's not in the herd. Yeah. And so I know you're the lead pastor. I know you're big and bad and tough and all that. But, man, you need a band of you need to get in the herd. You need to surround yourself with some people that love you and care for you and are able to tell you things you don't want to hear. It's, it matters a lot. Every time I hear Pastor Joby preach, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go plan again. <laughs> if I ever, if I ever have my faith get low, I'm just calling you. I'll get fired up again. Hey, I really, really appreciate your time. Uh, what you're doing there, what God's doing in and through you guys is inspiring. And we're, we're so grateful for you to, to be on the podcast today, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for what you're doing too, because uh, in order for, for people to fulfill their ministry, they need folks like you to come alongside them and help them and kind of be a Barnabas to encourage them and, you know, cross the T's and dot the I's so that they can preach the gospel. So good job. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Call, brought to you by Star Church. If you have any questions about what you've heard today, please give us a call at 844-641-5118 or visit our website, starchurch.com. The hosts and guests today are not attorneys and nothing they have said or expressed should be considered legal advice. We hope you'll join us for the next exciting episode of Beyond the Call.